Hey everyone and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host Heather Ashley and today's case is one of many missing women out of Texas. Small talk sucks so let's dive in. Prisma Peralta was a 26-year-old single mother who really had the world going for her. She was from Veracruz, New Mexico, but had recently become a U.S. citizen. She had worked in insurance sales at one point, but realized she wanted more and went to school to become a paralegal and did in fact become a paralegal for some time, but decided to step it up a notch and join the Army National Guard as well. But as good as everything seemed on paper, it just wasn't. Prisma had a history of dating the wrong guys. Her picker was off. But I mean, I think all of our pickers have been off at one point or another. According to family, he wound up kicking her out when she was six months pregnant and she essentially raised him on her own. Baby daddy wasn't involved much at all, if ever. She dated another guy and actually lived with him, we'll call him ex-boyfriend, who wound up abusing her. I read at one point that one of her friends said that he beat her so bad one night that when she came to, she was lying naked in a field. Now, this was never in any official news reports, so I can't tell you exactly how accurate it is, but it was very much so understood that he was abusive. Sometime after the domestic violence incident, he moved out and they broke up. With all that being said, though, she worked her ass off to keep it together for her son, to provide for him, and to give him a stable home, and to be someone that he could be proud of. But something changed on April 17th of 2019, or maybe even a little bit before. Unbeknownst to her stepfather at the time, she had stopped working at a paralegal, and I can't tell you why. I don't know if she lost the job or if she left. But in the beginning of April, she started working at 123 Texas Auto. It was a used car lot, a whole different ballgame from her life as a paralegal. On April 17th, about two weeks into her new job, she drops off her son with the sitter around 10 a.m. and heads to work like normal. She parks at the used car lot and heads inside and has some kind of argument with a co-worker who feels like she parked in their spot. Whatever, petty work drama. Around noon, she texted her mom about some storms that were going to be rolling through. Normal caring daughter stuff. Nothing seems off. And around 1 p.m., she leaves to take her lunch break. She calls the sitter at one point and chats with her about work, the Easter holiday coming up, and picking up her son that afternoon. Everything seems fine. But 7.30 rolls around and there's no sign of Prisma, her son still waiting at the sitter's house for his mom to pick him up. After two hours, the sitter finally calls the police and is like, look, I watch my friend's son when she's at work and she picks him up between 7.30 and 7.40 every night and it's been two hours. I've called, I've texted, and she's not answering and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Police call Prisma's stepdad that night and let him know what's going on and he's confused AF. He was out of state for work at the time, but this wasn't like Prisma. Her son was her world. Prisma's mom isn't made aware that anything's wrong until her grandson goes to school the next day. He had spent the night with a sitter and she took him to school. And I guess when he was there, he started talking about how he couldn't find his mommy. So they called his emergency contact, which was Prisma's mother. That's literally how she found out that her daughter was missing. 
By this time, police had already started taking this case oddly seriously. I mean, she's an adult and she's been missing less than 24 hours, but they've already located her vehicle. Initial reports stated that it was found about a block away from the Olympus at Ross apartment complex, but an email to the tenants shows that it's totally blocking an intersection directly across from the apartment's parking garage. It had been completely abandoned. But these apartments aren't her apartments. It's not even close to where she lived. It's a 20-minute drive southwest of Dallas in Mesquite. Police are able to pull security footage from the apartment complex, and they release one single clip to the media. It's Prisma around 5.50 p.m. waiting by one of the elevators in the parking garage. She still has her red work polo on and the jeans she'd been wearing all day. She has her keys in one hand, her purse on the opposite arm, and she's talking to someone on speakerphone. She doesn't look panicked or anything when she's talking, but she does sway back and forth a bit. She stumbles slightly and eventually leans against a wall. Then she walks around a corner and the video ends. That's all we get. Authorities ask that if anyone recognizes her to call the Mesquite Police Department. Her family says that, one, she'd never leave her son. He was her world. Two, she'd never leave her Jeep. You know Jeep people. The first rule of being a Jeeper is to never leave a Jeep behind. And if you don't know any Jeep people, this is going to make a whole lot more sense to you when you meet one. But third, they said that her mannerisms seemed like she was stressed, especially the way she was twirling her keys. And they don't know why she'd be at the apartments. As far as they know, she doesn't know anyone who lives there. People who don't know her focus on the stumbling or just overall seeming off balance. They wonder if maybe she'd been drugged or if she'd been drinking, but it just doesn't make any sense. Certainly Prisma wouldn't get drunk at lunch knowing that she'd be going back to work. But Prisma never went back to work that day. Remember, she left around 1 p.m., and when she wasn't back in an hour, they started calling her, but she didn't answer any of their calls. And this video footage of her at the apartment complex is at 5.50 p.m., almost five hours after she left, when she technically still should have been at work, but she's okay. I mean, we see her. So what happened in that gap of time and where did she go between 5.50 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. when she was supposed to be picking up her son? The family has a million questions. Two days after she was last seen, the Mesquite Police Department searches the area surrounding the complex, including a construction site about a block away, but find no trace of Prisma. A Texas game warden with a canine walks through the entire complex, the parking garage, the elevators, the residence halls, everything. And according to NBC Dallas-Fort Worth, it never once picks up on her scent. Another canine is brought in, a bloodhound, and he didn't even pick up on Prisma scent either. I mean, we know she was there, we saw her, but neither of these dogs are getting any scent trail of her whatsoever. This apartment complex is pretty fancy. Looking at it, it has a gorgeous pool and some pretty cool optics, but the reviews are a little seedy. They've had a lot of security issues, people running into open gates in the parking garage and stealing shit out of people's cars, people trying to see if apartment doors are unlocked, etc., etc. There are complaints that the pool isn't what it seems and that it's more like an unregulated party station than a relaxation place, and, well, you get it. 
So there are some concerns that maybe she was the victim of a crime of opportunity at the complex. But then again, she wasn't a resident and she was one of those people who were able to get in. More importantly, though, why was she there? She was parked right out front, went right inside and was clearly waiting for an elevator. So what was she doing there in the first place? Police get her phone records and figure out who she was talking to on the phone in that video. They don't say much other than that the person she talked to has no idea where she is and he's been cleared. Prisma's family and really everyone else starts to wonder who would want to hurt Prisma and obviously her two exes come into play. Baby Daddy and Ex-Boyfriend Baby Daddy lives three hours south of Dallas in Austin, so he's pretty much ruled out here. And what would he want with Prisma anyways? He hasn't been a regular in his son's life, and they've had little to no contact. Even her parents don't think he's involved. Her sister, however, tells Fox 4 that the ex-boyfriend lives at the Olympus Apartments. And that changes things. She now has a reason for being where she was. On top of finding out that the ex-boyfriend lived there, she also tells the station that Prisma and her ex-boyfriend were in the process of rekindling their relationship, something most of the family wasn't aware of. We now know of two things she was keeping from various family members. One, that she was no longer a paralegal, and two, that she was trying to work things out with her abusive and very much older ex-boyfriend, and I'm talking like 15-ish years older than her, which is a pretty big gap when you're 26. Fox 4 does another report where we get a time for the phone call to the sitter. Remember she told the sitter that she was on her lunch break and they were just chatting about work, Easter, and that she'd see her when she picked up her son after work. That call happened around 4 p.m. and lasted 52 minutes. Prisma was saying she was on her lunch break three hours after she left for work for her actual lunch break and never came back. And as far as the sitter, who hasn't talked much since everything went down, Prisma never mentioned quitting her job, which she would have had to know she was doing at that point. Nothing makes sense to anyone who knows her or frankly to anyone else. Where was she between work and the apartments? What was she doing in that time frame that resulted in her stumbling on the phone in front of an elevator at her ex and kind of current boyfriend's apartment complex? On April 21st, a woman's body is found in a drainage ditch in Pleasant Grove, which is only 10 miles from where Prisma was last seen, and everyone holds their breath waiting for an identification. But it doesn't take long. It's not Prisma, which means she's still out there somewhere, and the investigation continues. The Mesquite PD says that she's obviously considered a missing person, but there's nothing that points to foul play at this point, aside from the fact that it's not normal for grown women, especially with kids, to just vanish. But that doesn't rule out the possibility that she did just leave on her own accord and crazier things have happened. I say the investigation continues, but I mean, not a whole lot happens. Police go door to door at the complex to see if anyone heard or saw anything the day Prisma disappeared, but not everyone's home. And at this point, there's no real evidence of a crime having been committed. So they don't have any probable cause to search any apartments. So they're just doing what they can. Prisma's been missing for a week now, and her phone is either dead or turned off. Her bank accounts haven't been touched. They have her vehicle that she never went back for, and there's no sign of Prisma, her keys, her purse, or her cell phone. The cell phone that last pinged 
inside of the Olympus apartments, which matches up with the Telemundo Dallas report that was the first to confirm that Prisma had in fact gotten onto one of those elevators after she turned around that corner. Once that comes out, Fox 4 reports that a man actually rode on the elevator with Prisma that day and said that she was crying. He got off on a lower floor and Prisma continued to go up and doesn't know which floor she got off of. However, Gray Hughes steps in and does an interview with Prisma's stepfather, who says that she got off on the fifth floor, the same floor her ex-boyfriend lived on. I mean, all signs are pointing to the abusive ex-boyfriend, right? But... Maybe not right. According to police, he wasn't home that evening. He was in a neighboring city hanging out with friends and didn't get back to his place until the wee hours of the next morning. A lot of people feel itchy when they hear about this alibi, but if police are releasing it, I've got a feeling that they've done some double and triple checking. All of this just leads to more questions. Why was she at her ex-boyfriend's apartment after leaving work and never coming back, calling her babysitter three hours later, and then two hours after that, why is she at the apartment complex of her ex-boyfriend who isn't even home? It's like the more answers we get, the less anything makes sense. Her stepdad, desperate for any answers, buys a digital billboard with Prisma's face on it and places it on I-30 where anyone coming or going from those apartments would see it. He puts her missing persons flyers on the sides of his big rig and even takes to Facebook Marketplace to plead with anyone in the area, have you seen my daughter? But it's crickets. There is no movement in this case, not even a blip. On May 1st, a family member of Prisma's joins Web Sleuths and offers up a little information to fill in the gaps of the timeline of the day that she went missing. She says that police told the family that Prisma had gone to lunch, like she said she was, at E-Bar Tex-Mex. When I map this out, it's a 23-minute drive from her work. Assuming she only gets an hour for work, this is either some banging-ass food and she's taking it back with her, or she's meeting someone there and never had any intention of going back when she left that day. For added kicks, this restaurant is just one single mile from the Olympus Apartments. Prisma's mom had as many questions as everyone else did, so she went down to the bar herself and talked to the bartender, and there this story gets even weirder. The bartender tells her that Prisma did in fact meet up with someone there. Her mom showed them a photo of her ex, and the bartender verified that that was who Prisma met with for lunch that day. The bartender says that the two got into some kind of altercation when Prisma got a phone call, and her ex wound up leaving. We hear next to nothing about this case for about four months. I would do the whole two weeks later, four weeks later spiel, but no, it took four months for there to be any kind of break in this case. And when it came, it was less of a break and more like a made for movie series of what the fuck moments. In August of 2019, Fox 4 releases security footage from the E-Bar Prisma ate lunch at with her ex on the day that she went missing. We know that the two had gotten into some kind of altercation at the restaurant and that he wound up leaving, but Prisma didn't leave. She stayed until about 5 p.m. That's close to three and a half hours at that restaurant. She's seen on video sitting alone at the bar, talking on the phone, and this is likely the phone call she was having with the sitter. She seems perfectly fine. Around 5 p.m., the bartender winds up cutting her off, and I've heard from a few bartenders that you don't get cut off until there's a clear moral or behavioral issue going on. 
When they cut Prisma off, she got so upset that they had to physically remove her from the bar. No one called her a cab or an Uber. No one took her keys. Instead, you see her white Jeep speed out of the parking lot and actually hitting the curb when she takes a right onto the street. No one can definitively say whether or not Prisma was drunk because she hasn't been found, but we can assume that after being at a bar for hours, getting cut off, upset and kicked out that she was likely at this point drunk and driving away from the bar. And if you thought this would be the most shocking part of this story, you would be so wrong. It's just a few minutes after she takes a right onto Haskell after leaving the bar that she gets into a road rage incident with another vehicle and not just any kind of road rage incident. Police say that three witnesses report that Prisma pointed a freaking gun at them. They call 911 immediately, but by the time police showed up, Prisma was long gone. They track her cell phone down I-30 towards White Rock Lake, which is the total opposite direction of the Olympus Apartments. But something happens and she turns around. And then she heads right back in the direction she came from and to her ex-boyfriend's apartment complex. I don't even have words at this point, so I'm just going to keep going. When she gets to the Olympus Apartments, she's seen coming to what almost looks like a screeching halt across the street in front of the parking garage. There was a moving truck at the end of where Rosalind and Johnson intersect, so she just stops behind the moving truck and so abruptly that you can watch her body move forward. Her Jeep is completely blocking the intersection of Rosalind and Johnson at this point. She gets out of her Jeep and hauls ass across the street because another vehicle is coming into the parking garage and she wants to take advantage of the open gate and she makes it in. You can see the gate start to close behind her right as she gets inside. And that's when we get that 550 video of her waiting in front of the elevators. And while all her actions don't make a ton of sense, the timeline is starting to get a lot more clear. At 10.30 a.m., she got to work and got into an argument with a coworker about a parking spot. At noon, she texted her mom about the weather. Around 1, she took her lunch break and took the 23-minute drive to E-Bar. Her and her ex have lunch and get into an argument, and he leaves at some point, and she stays. Around 4 p.m., she has a 52-minute phone call with her sitter where she doesn't mention anything about the ex or that she's been drinking alone at the bar. Around 5 p.m., she's cut off and kicked out of the restaurant and speeds away. At 5.08, she gets into a road rage incident and drives down I-30 before something changes her mind and she turns around and heads to the Olympus apartment complex. The timestamp of the photo of her Jeep that was sent out to an email to the Olympus residents reads 5.47 p.m. So we've tracked down the movements of her day, but they still don't make a ton of sense when comparing them to the normal behavior of the Prisma that everyone knew and loved, and police are no closer to finding her than they were on day one. In fact, they really don't have any evidence that a crime has even occurred. This case has basically stalled, but her family has no quit. Her stepfather puts up another billboard hoping that anyone will recognize her and remember something about that day. He sets up a $2,500 reward for any information that leads to his daughter. 
Her mom continues to hang flyers anywhere they'll let her, and her entire family does whatever they can to keep her name and picture in the news. They even reach out to Texas Equisearch, but they're searching for Malia Davis at the time. If you don't remember that case, it was an Insta case before we started the podcast. You can check out her highlight. It's one of the most heartbreaking cases I think I've ever covered. But even with all these billboards, flyers, signs on the sides of big rigs, marketplace ads, Facebook groups, and pages dedicating their time to seeking out any information on Prisma, and even a reward, there's nothing. So Prisma's family gets a copy of her call history to see if that might help make some sense out of that evening. And like every other major update in this case, it just makes everything more confusing. Betty Broderick thought she had the perfect life and the perfect marriage until one day in 1989 when it all came crashing down. The once traditional housewife murdered her ex-husband and his new wife. From the Los Angeles Times comes a new true crime podcast, It Was Simple. The Betty Broderick Murders, hosted by award-winning writer and reporter Pat Morrison. This is a case I've been low-key obsessed with since the day I realized I was a true crime fanatic. Like they mentioned in the podcast, it was the OJ case before there was an OJ. It was the murder that everyone knew about and everyone felt an emotional connection with. Whether it was because they kind of understood where Betty was coming from, or because they couldn't understand how anyone could be sympathetic to a woman who murdered two people in their own home. I tried to pace myself with this podcast, but I ripped through it like a bag of Fritos. Maybe it was the whole story of knowing what she gave up to make sure her husband was successful, and that even that couldn't make their marriage work, or hearing in her own voice her own words talk about what she did. Each episode, one, two, three, and four, got me more and more sucked in. Hear from new voices from the years surrounding the murders who spotlight all the critical and at times controversial points from family to divorce, insanity, powerlessness, and wealth. All the details that make this more than 30-year-old case still stand out even in our contemporary American society. Every episode will have you asking yourself, how would I react if my relationship ended like this? Is there anything that might drive me to murder? Join Pat in discovering why this 30-year-old case still gets us today. After 30 years, five bullets, two coffins, and one California prison inmate, why can't we look away from Betty Broderick? Every binge-worthy episode of It Was Simple, The Betty Broderick Murders is available now, so download today from wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. They go on with Gray Hughes and talk about the phone logs, and they go as follows. At 1.15 p.m., when she would have been on her way to the E-bar, she made a call to her ex and they talked for 15 minutes. So that means they probably talked until she got to the restaurant, putting her time of arrival at around 1.30 p.m. At 2.30 p.m., an hour into their lunch date, she got an incoming call from her ex. Now, I can't imagine he called her while they were eating lunch together, so I think it's safe to say that they probably had their altercation prior to that. But again, weirder things have happened. At 4.05 p.m., she calls the sitter and talks to her for 52 minutes, acknowledging that she's going to be picking her son up at the normal time. 
At 4.30 p.m., she gets another incoming call from her ex while she's on the phone with the sitter. At 4.57 p.m., she ends the call with said sitter. We know she got kicked out of the bar about three minutes later and that she got into the road rage incident at around 5.08 p.m. 17 minutes after that, she makes a phone call at 5.25 p.m. to a friend. It logs as a one-minute call, which usually means that it wasn't answered and the log just rounds up to one minute. At 5.57, Prisma calls her ex, and this is the first time that she's called him since that 1.15 p.m. call on the way to their lunch date, and the first call that she's made to him after whatever happened between the two of them at lunch. There was 49 minutes between when she left the E-bar after getting cut off and when she was seen parking in front of the Olympus Apartments. And we know that she abruptly turned around and changed direction in the middle of that time period. Half of 49 minutes is 24.5 minutes, putting that change of direction around 5.32 p.m. I'm guessing that 5.25 p.m. call to her ex had something to do with why she turned around. She was clearly not in her right mind at this point and was emotionally driven for some reason. We just don't know what. It's not a normal day when you leave your job and never come back, have lunch with your abusive ex that you're trying to rekindle with, stay at the bar after he leaves, drink until you're cut off, drive out of the parking lot and pull a gun on three women in a car, and then wind up back at your ex's place. She was definitely emotionally driven to do whatever it was she was doing that day. At 5.49, we see her on the phone with someone in front of the elevators at the Olympus Apartments. I'd like to point out at this point that though she did point a gun at that woman in the car at 5.08, she did not take it with her into the apartment complex. It was found under her seat in the Jeep when they found it. So whatever she was trying to do when she got there, it didn't involve the gun that she had used less than an hour before. We still don't know who that 549 call was to, but police have seemingly cleared that person. At 554, 556, and 557, she makes three separate phone calls to her ex while she's in his building, and all calls seem to go unanswered. At 557 and 558, she calls a different ex-boyfriend who tells Gray Hughes that she thought he was the ex she had eaten lunch with that day and was asking him which apartment was his and started yelling at him to let her up. And he was like, look, wrong ex, and they ended their conversation. Which seems odd to me. She had just called the correct ex three times in a row. You just go into your call history and hit the number you just dialed and you call him again. But instead, within less than a minute of calling the ex who actually did live in that building, she called the wrong ex as well. And I don't know how that happens. But at 5.59, she calls the correct ex again, who again doesn't seem to answer her call. At 6 p.m., she calls a male friend who lives out of state and tells him that she needs help, that she doesn't feel right, and she doesn't know where she is. According to family, he says he told her to send him her location so that he could have someone come get her, but she couldn't figure out how, and the call ended. And this call just seems like such a stark contrast to the last few calls. She was in her ex-boyfriend's building trying to call the ex-boyfriend who lived there, so I mean, she had to know where she was, and then... Then she called another ex-boyfriend, seemingly mistaking him for the one she had just called three times in a row, asking which apartment was his and yelling at him to let her up. But just a minute later, she's talking to another friend who doesn't live in Texas and is saying that she doesn't feel right, she doesn't know where she is, and that she needs help. Nothing makes any sense. 
At 6.01 p.m., Prisma makes her last phone call, 11 minutes after she was last seen on CCTV, and it's to the ex-boyfriend who lives at the complex, and again, he doesn't answer. And no one, and I mean absolutely no one, has heard from Prisma since. A private investigator offers to look into the case for free and does wind up finding one single witness who saw Prisma that evening. She says that she saw her on the top floor of the parking garage, sitting on the ground against the wall, crying near a silver sedan that had its trunk open. The witness says that she tried to approach Prisma to see if she was okay, but Prisma told her to leave her alone, so she did. However, she remembered seeing Prisma at the complex a few days prior with another man. We don't know who that man was, whether it was the ex or another friend that she had at the complex. If she had been there with her ex, though, wouldn't she have known which apartment was his? This case seems to go ice cold. A family member posts on Web Sleuths occasionally mentioning that police are looking at one person or they're looking into two people, but nothing ever seems to pan out and they always seem to be one tip away from a break in the case, but it just never happens. On November 14th, at around 11.30 p.m., a woman is seen running into a Walmart in Frisco, Texas, 36 minutes away from Mesquite, with a man running behind her yelling, Get back here! Don't let me find you again! Once the woman reached a group of people, the man turned around, got into his vehicle, and sped off. A witness posted on Facebook that she had blood on her and that she was asking everyone what day it was and that she couldn't believe it when they told her it was November. She told them that she had been missing since April. The woman's taken to the hospital and Prisma's family gets wind of what happened and waits and hopes and prays that it's Prisma. I mean, if it's not, what the hell is going on in Texas? It takes three agonizing days, but it's not Prisma. It has been more than a year since Prisma Peralta disappeared and her case is still open and she has yet to be located. The purse, the phone, and the keys that she had with her when she entered that apartment complex have also never been found. There have been countless speculations as to what might have happened to her. They wonder if the ex's alibi is legit or if the babysitter might know more than she's letting on, that maybe the silver sedan with the trunk open had something to do with her disappearance. People wonder if she might have exited one of the few exits of the apartment complex that didn't have cameras, never to be seen again. They wonder if maybe she was the victim of a crime of opportunity, of someone who saw her inebriated in the halls. They wonder if maybe she jumped from the roof and fell into a dumpster that was directly below and no one knew she was missing until it was too late. There are a million possibilities and they all seem kind of plausible. There has to be more footage from the complex that hasn't been released. Footage of her getting on the elevator. Footage of her on the top floor of the parking garage. Something that tells a little bit more about her disappearance, but police have kept that close to the vest. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Prisma Peralta or what may have happened to her on April 17, 2019, please call the Mesquite Police at 972-285-6336 or Investigator D. Barrett at 972-216-6791. For all maps and photos pertaining to this case, check out Prisma's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. And join me there tonight where you go live with me and we talk about all the details of today's case.
If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. Mm-hmm.